Welcome to Long Story Short, sponsored by the Kirkpatrick Foundation. I'm Ted Struley, the Executive Director at Oklahoma Watch. We're a statewide nonprofit news organization that specializes in investigative reporting. You're listening to our weekly podcast, which lets you hear directly from our journalists as they provide deeper insight into their recently published stories. Last week, Oklahoma voters went to the polls and Oklahoma Watch reporters met them in voting precincts in Arcadia, El Reno, Luther, Moore, Oklahoma City, and Tahlequah. Whitney Bryan is here to talk about that experience and what voters had to say. Whitney, what did you set out to learn from voters along with your fellow reporters? Well, Ted, we kind of spread out across the metro area as well as some rural communities and up in the Tahlequah area. We wanted to get a good cross-section of the state. Uh, We had some purple districts, some red districts, um, and kind of everything in between. And we asked folks how Oklahoma is working for them, what kind of issues were on their mind as they were coming and going from the polls, um, and basically what do they care most about How is the legislature addressing or maybe not addressing those things? Where did you personally go and and what did you see? So I started the morning in Oklahoma City at a polling location at Andrews Square. That's an affordable housing apartment complex. And there's also a senior living complex sort of tied in there. So those folks all vote in that polling station as well as others in Oklahoma City. And then after that, I went to Luther um, to try to get some rural voters and hear a little bit from them and then stopped at Arcadia on my way out. You know, on that question of uh, how well voters think the legislature is representing them and their interests, what was the most common criticism you heard? And and was there a common thread to praise things people like? Sure. I think, you know, the most common praise that I heard, um, especially in rural uh, Oklahoma for me personally, was that they felt folks felt their conservative values were being heard and were being reflected in the legislature. However, the most common complaint that I heard was things are taking too long. And in many cases, folks felt like their lawmakers were focusing on issues that didn't have as big of an impact on their lives as what they would like. So, for instance, uh, one voter in Luther told me, you know, he'd really like to see the legislature focus more on fixing roads. He's, you know, a taxpaying citizen and the road to and from work every day is destroying his truck. And he felt like that was not an important issue for lawmakers, but for folks folks in his town, it is. What did you find most surprising about the responses we collected? You know, I found the diversity in responses that I received um, somewhat surprising. You know, I I kind of expected that I would hear a lot of um, similar feedback from voters in Oklahoma City And then when I went to Luther, I would hear different feedback from that group of voters and then, you know, again in Arcadia. But what I found was quite a cross-section of voters in all three of those locations. And my colleagues uh, reported the same at their stations, too. So that that cross-section of voter responses uh, were featured in two stories we published on Oklahoma Watch. Um, Since we can't include every response, were there any takeaways or impressions that uh, you or a colleague uh, might pursue as a story? 
You know, I think that talking to everyday Oklahomans sort of always produces a story or at least um, thoughts about stories that we might do in the future. I mean, we public service is our mission. And so if people care about roads, for instance, or if people care about, um, you know, I, I spoke to one veteran who talked a lot about um, being on the list of burn pit victims um, and how he was not getting the care he needed. Um, you know, we spoke to folks who want the legislature to, to spend more money on schools, for instance. So, you know, really anything that Oklahomans say they care about, say they need, um, for us, that sort of sticks in in the back of our minds and can end up in a story that we might already be working on or can drive its own story. Uh, a lot of Oklahoma voters uh, found themselves headed to a new polling place uh, in this particular election. Did you uh, run into anybody who was confused? I know I know. I talked to one friend who uh, went to vote at, at the address uh, she was given, and there was nobody there. The building was empty, and it turned out that the actual polling place was a couple blocks down the street at a second— uh, property owned by the same church, but there were um, the address was uh, incorrect by a couple of blocks, and uh, no signage to redirect people, no help at all. Just uh, calls to the election board were um, didn't produce any kind of a response. So um, that was clearly an error. But but was there any other just general confusion about where to vote? And do you think uh, that affected uh, the number of votes cast? Absolutely. I also experienced some confusion among voters, um, specifically at the Arcadia polls. Uh, you know, they have a lot of voters from Jones, Oklahoma. And during redistricting, Jones got, you know, broken up into a few different precincts. And so we had voters coming into that polling station who had voted there in the past, but their polling station had changed and they didn't realize it. So when I was there, they had enough time to be redirected, um, to get online, find out what their polling station actually is supposed to be this year and, you know, drive a little ways to get there. However, um, you know, if folks were showing up at the polls toward the end of the night, you know, minutes before seven o'clock or, um, you know, just not with enough time to then drive to a different polling station, it absolutely could have affected voters uh, being able to cast their ballot. This is the first statewide election since disproven allegations of widespread fraud in the 2020 presidential election. Did you or your colleagues detect anything different about the people um, who do the frontline work of conducting elections? Absolutely. There was certainly more tension at the polls uh, on behalf of the poll workers. At least that was my experience and my colleagues as well. Um, you know, by state law, we, the media, are allowed to be at the polls covering Election Day. Um, this is really important work. And, you know, we're doing this on behalf of the public so that they can understand what Election Day looks like in their state um, and at polling stations around them. And my first experience, the very first place I went on Tuesday was the Andrew Square apartment complex in Oklahoma City. And poll workers there were very dismayed when I arrived and told them who I was and what I was doing. Um, there seemed to be a lot of confusion as to whether or not I could be on site, 
uh, taking photos. You know, I had a camera with me. Um, I was talking to voters after they voted outside the polling place. And it certainly raised a lot of uh, nervousness for those poll workers, even despite making calls to the election board and, you know, the election board explaining to them that I could be there and, and that was OK. That's um, that's normal. That's what we do at every single election. Um, but certainly this year was a lot more tense for those workers. In fact, it was so tense that even after calling and, and kind of getting it okayed with the uh, election board, they they called the sheriff and a deputy came out and asked what I was doing. So there was certainly more tension at that polling station, as well as others around the state. I know folks in Tahlequah were giving you know some of our reporters a hard time about being there and uh, at other locations, too. All right. Well, thanks, Whitney. You can read uh, both the Oklahoma Watch stories about how Election Day went in Oklahoma and what was on voters' minds at our website, oklahomawatch.org. Last week, the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals set execution dates for more than two dozen state prisoners. Criminal justice reporter Keaton Ross has the latest on what to expect in the coming months. Keaton, when is the first execution set for? Yeah, so the first execution date is set for August 25th, uh, about seven weeks from today. And that will be James Coddington, who was scheduled to be executed last March, but later got added back to a federal lawsuit challenging the state's execution method. And that was pushed off. And then that judge ruled the state can use lethal injection to execute prisoners. And that's why we're seeing this uh, a series of execution dates now. At what pace does the state intend to carry out uh, the executions? Approximately every four weeks through 2024. So we'll, we'll see one about every month. Will that make Oklahoma the top executioner in the U.S.? The way it's looking now, that would be a likely yes. Uh, we haven't seen a state come out as aggressively as Oklahoma trying to execute prisoners at that pace. For for some context, in 2021, throughout the entire U.S., according to the Death Penalty Information Center, there were 11 executions carried out. And thus far in 2022, there have, about halfway through the year, there have been seven. So Oklahoma could match the entire 2021 total of executions in the U.S. on its own in an entire year. Now, under that uh, rather aggressive schedule, which agencies are going to face the most pressure over the next couple of years? Um, definitely the Department of Corrections carrying out every execution, training its staff to do it. Um, you know, they there's pressure on them to get it right and not have complications. And of course, they're, the process is somewhat shielded, but you have media and different folks in the room when it's happening, and they'll note if something goes awry. And then also the the Pardon and Parole Board, uh, which is tasked with hearing cl clemency hearings uh, three to four weeks before the scheduled execution date. So there will be several of those that they have to prepare for, get witnesses, um, those sorts of things. Has anybody... You, within state government expressed any concern about that schedule? At the agency level, there hasn't, I haven't seen any any public concern about this. Of course, last fall, there was kind of a similar plan over a short time span where the Court of Criminal Appeals set execution dates every three weeks. And at that point, 
uh, the Department of Corrections, the Pardon and Parole Board said everyone had agreed to that schedule, agreed that it was doable. So haven't haven't seen any anyone come out publicly and say this is this is too aggressive. Uh, what what about the anti death penalty advocates? What have they had to say? So it's it's been similar things to what we've we've seen over the past several years in Oklahoma with the execution protocol being challenged, and that is, of course, they're inherently opposed to the death penalty. But looking at it from the perspective of you're you're going to carry one out every month, um, they're concerned that the the more you do it and at the pace you do it, you become more careless, and and the likelihood that there will be mistakes or complications. Uh, increases as you as you carry them out more frequently. Now, Attorney General John O'Connor, uh, when he uh, took office, had set a very uh, aggressive pace to carry out executions. But uh, after last week's election, we know John O'Connor will not uh, return as uh, Attorney General. Um, is has there been any public indication that a new Attorney General uh, might? might be in a position to affect or change that schedule in some way. Yeah. So, of course, last week, uh, Gittner Drummond won that runoff race, uh, nearly defeating John O'Connor, and he'll go up against a libertarian candidate where he's widely expected to win. And I tuned into the the attorney general debate. I've been following it. I haven't got with the candidates directly, but as far as what they've said publicly, I haven't it, it hasn't been something I've seen addressed at the at the debate stage, but certainly that'll be um, if Drummond does end up getting the nomination and, and taking over as attorney general, that'll be something to watch if if he has a different approach to it. But these dates have been set. This is the schedule the state's going forward with now. Now, in recent years, has the death penalty uh, been something that's gotten a lot of discussion in the legislature? Not not particularly as far as looking to abolish the death penalty or modify it significantly. Of course, Oklahoma is a conservative state. Six years ago in 2016, there was a state question that, that affirmed the state's right to carry out the death penalty. There, There is one state representative, Kevin McDougal in Broken Arrow, that's been a strong supporter for death row prisoner Richard Glossop who's set to be executed in September. And he said at a press conference last month that if the state ex- executes Richard Glossop, he will fight to end the death penalty in Oklahoma because he believes this man is innocent and that this will tarnish the the process, make it unpure. Um, of course, it, it's too early to tell if, you know, of course, one person trying to persuade a body of, of 100-plus people, um, it's... It, it may be a, a tall task if, if the execution is carried out, but it'll it'll be something to watch for sure. Now, an execution date uh, may be delayed or stayed for several reasons. Could you explain briefly the uh, appeals process uh, leading up to the day of the execution? Yeah, so every every prisoner is entitled to a clemency appeal, and that is required to take place at least 21 days before the scheduled execution date. Um, it's where the, the prisoner will go before the pardon and parole board. They'll vote yes or no on whether to recommend clemency to the governor. And then the governor ultimately has the final say, uh, similar to what we saw uh, with the Julius Jones case in uh, November of last year. 
And there, there can also be challenges um, with issues such as mental competency. Um, we saw that with a prisoner named Wade Lay, who was scheduled to be executed earlier this year, and that was delayed pending a, a competency trial. Um, so those are a few of the um, avenues trying to, to delay or um, get an execution date called off. All right. Thanks, Keaton. You can read uh, Keaton's work on the death penalty and other uh, criminal justice issues on our website at oklahomawatch.org. You've been listening to Long Story Short, a weekly podcast that helps you get deeper into the investigative stories reported by Oklahoma Watch, which you can find on the web at oklahomawatch.org. This podcast was made possible by a grant from the Kirkpatrick Foundation, for which we're grateful. For Oklahoma Watch, I'm Ted Struley. Thanks for listening. Oklahoma Watch is a nonpartisan, nonprofit news organization. That means that we rely on readers and listeners like you to help fund the important work that Oklahoma Watch does throughout the state. We're in the middle of our spring fundraising campaign. If you enjoy the work we do, if you feel as though you benefit from it and the state of Oklahoma benefits from what we do, please take a moment to visit our website and make any contribution that you're comfortable with, $5 a month, $10 a month, whatever's comfortable for you will help keep this important work going. Visit our donations page at oklahomawatch.org.